Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio, it's The Big Take. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, the rapper who got mixed up in a wild global plot. Praz Michel, the famed rapper and founding member of the pioneering hip-hop group The Fugees, goes on federal trial later this month. He's charged with multiple counts in what can be described without a hint of exaggeration as a real-life international tale of intrigue. It involves a long cast of characters, including A-list Hollywood celebrities, a fugitive Malaysian businessman, the Chinese government, and both the Obama and Trump White Houses. My Bloomberg colleagues Anthony Cormier, Jason Leopold, and Matthew Campbell have captured this whole saga in a brilliant story for Business Week, and they're here with me now to tell us what they found. Matt, at the center of this story is a Malaysian businessman. His name is Joe Lowe. Can you tell us about him? So Joe Lowe, his full name is Low Take Joe, but everyone knows him as Joe Lowe. He is a Malaysian financier. He is from Penang on the west coast of Malaysia. Uh, he was the central figure in what is known as the 1MDB scandal, which is one of the biggest alleged frauds of certainly the last 20 or 30 years. The central event here was the creation of a sovereign wealth fund in Malaysia called 1MDB. Uh, U.S. prosecutors and others allege that uh, Joe essentially looted uh, billions of dollars out of this fund, uh, which he diverted to a yacht, art, real estate in New York, in Los Angeles, a, a Bombardier corporate jet. He uh, was very well known, in certainly in Hollywood, entertainment circles particularly. Notably, he financed The Wolf of Wall Street, very good Martin Scorsese film. He was throwing parties in places like uh, Saint-Tropez. He owned a, a boutique hotel uh, in Los Angeles. He had a penthouse in the Mandarin Oriental in New York, very uh, closely associated over the years with Leonardo DiCaprio, who, of course, was the star of The Wolf of Wall Street. So, yeah, if you were uh, among a sort of A-list social set between about 2009 and 2015, you would very likely run into Joe Lowe and and you might, you know, get gifts worth a few hundred thousand or a few million dollars if he if he took a shine to you. For a period of about five years, he was one of the most prominent people on basically the global party circuit. And uh, U.S. prosecutors, among others, uh, believe that this was all financed with stolen funds. Joe's thing was um, he was known to throw off cash. There's a story that we found in some of these FBI files in which Kim Kardashian was uh, at a gambling sort of event with him in Las Vegas and they were playing Baccarat in, in one of the private rooms and as the men are gathered around the table, including 
Joe and some of his associates. Miss Kardashian is there, and um, yeah, she's going to leave very early, but a friend tells her, no, no, hang out for a little bit. Joe is known for, for throwing off chips at the end of the night, and so she continued to play Baccarat with the men, and um, at the end of the night, she had some chips. She went to return them to Joe, and he said, no, no, they're for you. And she goes to the cashier at the casino and learns that she has $350,000 in winnings. Uh, this was one of the many times that Joe gave celebrities very extraordinary and extravagant gifts. One of the things that Joe quite often bought, in addition to artwork and real estate, he bought quite a lot of jewelry. But he was extraordinarily giving to a model called Miranda Kerr. She's given back about $8 million in gems, earrings, pendants, things of that nature. He was, you know, for all intents and purposes, a guy who celebrities were drawn to because of his fabulous wealth. Anthony, what do these celebrities say about Joe Lowe and his gift giving? We reached out to Miranda Kerr, Kim Kardashian, and Leonardo DiCaprio for comment. Uh, representatives for Kerr and DiCaprio declined to comment, and a representative for Kim Kardashian didn't respond to a detailed list of questions we sent. Jason, one of the celebrities that Joe wanted to get close to was Pras Michelle. How did the two of them meet? Pras Michelle is one of the founding members of uh, the legendary hip-hop group, the Fugees a group that sold you know, millions of copies of the, their second album, The Score, back in the 90s. And Praz was a person who we learned from uh, reporting this story as somebody that really wanted to be involved in politics. He was someone that spent a considerable amount of time raising money for President Obama's re-election campaign back in 2012. He had aspirations to work as an ambassador. And it's those connections that he had in some of the political circles that surrounded uh, former President Obama that uh, Joe wanted to tap into. Like most celebrities, they met at a nightclub. Proz is invited to a place in the meatpacking district in New York City. And all he knows is that the person he's with is from Malaysia and has loads of money gets to the nightclub and there's some sort of brassy folks in the crowd who grab the microphone and they're trying to show off their wealth and they tell the crowd that they're going to buy everybody a drink. Then this really unassuming, portly, baby-faced Malaysian man pays $20,000 to grab the microphone. And he decides to tell the crowd that he's not just buying everyone a drink, but that he's going to buy every single bottle in the club. And that the staff members should go across the street to another nightclub and buy their liquor too. That gives you a sense of not only Jolo's extravagant wealth, but how willing he was to share it, not only with celebrities, but on these really lavish, extravagant parties. So this party took place in 2006, and they didn't reconnect for another five years when Joe wanted to tap into, you know, Proz's connections with President Obama and his administration. How did politics kind of form the basis of that relationship almost from the start? So in 2012, Barack Obama is running for re-election. Like a lot of celebrities, Pras Michel is a very passionate Obama supporter. He donated a fair bit of money. He wanted to raise money. 
And U.S. prosecutors allege that one of the ways he raised money was by getting it from Joe Lowe. This was kind of a, a situation where the stars aligned. Joe wanted to build his influence in the U.S. He wanted to be a bigger player. And of course, you know, being a donor to someone like Barack Obama helps make you a player. And so did Prance. So what is alleged by U.S. prosecutors is Joe Lowe, who, of course, as a non-U.S. citizen, is not permitted to be donating to American political campaigns, sent about $21 million to Prance, who then turned around and took a portion of that money, about $2 million, and filtered it out to support Obama's re-election effort. And this forms the basis of some of the criminal case against Prance Michel. What do you mean when you say filtered it out? Of course, if you are Joe Lowe, you know, Malaysian citizen, you can't just write a check to the Obama campaign. They won't take it. They have to be convinced that you're not someone who's prohibited from donating, i.e. only an American or a permanent resident can donate to a U.S. political campaign. So what Pras is accused of is taking this money from Joe Lowe using that money to make some donations in his own name and in the name of one of his companies, thus making it look like this money was coming from him, a U.S. citizen, and also filtering out a bunch of this cash to what are called straw donors, who are essentially middlemen, who, you know, if I write a check to someone and they then turn around and write a check to a political campaign, that person is functioning as a straw donor for me. I am the real donor, although on anyone's disclosure, as far as a campaign is concerned, that middleman will be the donor. So it conceals the origins of the donation, so you can't see that it came from a foreign donor. Exactly. Jason, what does Praz Michel say about all this? So Praz Michel's lawyer, David Kenner, has said that Praz Michel He relied on advisors to manage his financial activities, essentially saying that he didn't do anything wrong and that he relied on experts to advise him on how he should proceed. And Joe's desire to get close to the top of the U.S. government kind of paid off that he actually was able to meet President Obama. Joe had this desire to be seen and photographed with certainly with celebrities and uh, Obama was, you know, the political figure that he really wanted to be seen with. In 2012, there are campaign events being planned and Praz is urging to allow Joe to attend some of these fundraising events, which uh, he's not allowed to, first of all, because uh, he's being told he's a he's a foreigner and uh, just that's something they can't do. And finally gets to the uh, end in 2012 and uh, around November 2012, where there's a holiday party at the White House and Praz again asks, can Joe go? Can he attend this? And while he's there, he's photographed with President Obama. And so that's sort of like this big trophy for Joe to have this photograph. And that, you know, made him feel good just having that. And it also put Praz into a position where he could actually, you know, help sell the fact that he had these connections. And that was certainly one of those instances where optics were very important. Joe being seen with Obama, Praz being in his own right, planning a a campaign event as well, where he too is seated with President Obama. 
the relationship between Pras and Joe seems to be going pretty well until the 1MDB scandal just explodes. What happens then, Anthony? The FBI begins an investigation of how the money was looted from 1MDB and where it went. And what Joe does is he, as this investigation heats up around him, he turns first to Praz, uh, figuring that Praz has a Rolodex of friends in politics, particularly in the Obama administration. And then he turns to the Chinese, which is one of the few places on the globe that might be able to protect him from the long arm of American law enforcement. What he asks of Praz is to assemble a team of influential political figures to begin to knock back the forfeiture complaints and the investigations of his business dealings. So Jolo turns to Praz, who has these connections to the Obama administration, but it's now 2017. The Obama administration is out. This is the Trump administration, and he doesn't have the same kind of Rolodex or connections that he would have in the past. So what Praz does is he begins to reach out to individuals who are close to the Republican administration. Our story continues after the break. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Anthony, as you report, the feds are circling around Joe Lowe looking for the billion stolen in the 1MDB scandal. And Joe asks his friend, the rapper Praz Michelle, for help finding a sympathetic ear in the new Trump White House. What does Praz do? First, he turns to businesswoman and TV producer based in Hawaii called Nikki Lum Davis. She had long supported Republican causes. She had connections in Republican circles. And Nikki Lum Davis suggests that Praz reach out to a Republican fundraiser based in California called Elliot Broidy. So what they wanted Broidy to do was essentially use his connections, his connections to the Trump administration. He had been a well-known fundraiser. He had connections to new individuals who were being appointed uh, within the Trump administration, notably Jeff Sessions, who was tapped to be Trump's attorney general, and uh, use those connections to help get this 1MDB case dropped and essentially get the uh, heat off Joe. You know, in order to secure Brody's help, Lowe had to first pay a retainer to him of $8 million. If, if he was successful in getting the Justice Department to drop you know, any forfeiture actions related to 1MDB in a certain time frame, six months was, uh, was initially discussed, it would cost Joe $75 million. And if it took longer than that, it would be $50 million. So right out of the gate, Broidy sees dollar signs and they're off to the races. Broidy did go to the administration and plead Joe's case. How did that go? 
Brody and Lum Davis did try to get the Trump administration to back off its pursuit of Joe Lowe and, and of assets believed to be improperly accumulated through the looting of 1MDB. They didn't really get anywhere. They, they did certainly try at the top levels of the U.S. government, but this was a really big DOJ prosecution. Uh, it had already attained a sort of momentum that would have made it very difficult to stop at this point. So despite the best efforts of Brody and Lum Davis, uh, the Trump administration did continue going after Joe Lowe and, and all the assets that he and his allies had accumulated around the world. Anthony, what do Elliot Brody and Nikki Lum Davis say about their alleged role in this? We reached out to Elliot Brody and Nikki Lum Davis for comment. A representative for Mr. Brody declined to comment and representatives for Ms. Davis didn't respond to a detailed list of questions we sent. Matt, in the story, you write that Joe is getting concerned that he's not going to be able to make these charges go away and he's looking for a different way out. So in the spring of 2017, this very flamboyant, I think is the word, Chinese billionaire named Guo Wenguei starts getting into the news. He is a real estate developer from Beijing who moves to New York, uh, takes up a, a massive apartment in the Sherry Netherland on Fifth Avenue with this amazing view of Central Park. And, and he sort of wears kind of funny outfits and gives a lot of media interviews. And, and he's kind of a curiosity uh, to start, except then he starts making really amazing claims about corruption in the top leadership of the Communist Party and very specific claims about, for example, the families of uh, certain leaders uh, owning major assets. A lot of this was never proven. In fact, I think all of it was never proven. Most of it was denied over the years, but he certainly had people's attention. And uh, Guo definitely had the attention of the Chinese government because, you know, one of the red lines in China is talking about the wealth of the leadership. That is a subject that is the most sensitive imaginable. So at this time, China is, as we reported, looking for ways to silence Guo. And the position of the Chinese government in this period is Guo is a criminal. He's implicated in all kinds of white collar crime. We need to get him back, and we need to get him back by extraditing him on these non-political offenses, you know, bribery, embezzlement, that kind of thing. They clearly want him quiet and silenced and back in China where he can disappear. So at this point, with the government in Beijing very upset about Guo, uh, very eager to silence him, Joe Lo turns to Pras Michel, his friend, the Fuji's rapper, to put together an effort to convince the U.S. government to essentially kick Guo Wenguei out of New York. This is the chaotic early days of the Trump administration when kind of anything's possible. So it wasn't totally crazy for Joe Lowe and, and the Americans he ended up working with to think that they could press the Trump administration to allow or, or indeed to actually send Guo home. Joe Lowe was working on two priorities simultaneously. One, to get the U.S. to drop its pursuit of 1MDB, drop its investigation of this huge uh, alleged financial fraud, and two, to curry favor with China, basically, as a plan B, so that Jolo would have a place to go if the worst happened and he ended up getting indicted, as indeed he was uh, in late 2018. 
It's important to note that uh, Guo has uh, always denied wrongdoing in relation to these offenses of which he's been accused by China and has uh, said the Chinese government is pursuing a, a political vendetta against him. Anthony, you report that despite all this plotting to influence the White House, none of this was actually working. And the effort to curry favor with China wasn't working either. What happened? The Guo matter isn't being taken very seriously by the top levels of the Trump administration, at least in the beginning. And clearly, as our documents and our reporting show, that the FBI's International Corruption Unit is marching right along, investigating witnesses, scoping out bank accounts. They are really forging ahead with a criminal inquiry of Lo and, and others. And so the Chinese learned that the Guo matter hasn't really proceeded. One way that they come up with to get this idea a hearing at the highest level is to call Steve Wynn. A lot of people know the Wynn Casinos in Las Vegas. Steve Wynn is the founder of Wynn Resorts. Like a lot of casino companies, the big money at Wynn comes from not Vegas, but Macau, which is the largest gambling hub in the world. So Wynn is someone who had done a lot of business in China, dealt with Chinese officialdom over the years, and crucially, had access to President Trump. So Broidy uh, asks Wynn to put in a word with President Trump about uh, Guo Wengui, this exiled billionaire living in New York who China wanted back. Uh, Wynn does so. He uh, brings up this matter with President Trump at a dinner in the White House in late June 2017. He uh, drops off a copy of Guo's passport with Trump's secretary in the course of attending this dinner so that everyone knows who they're talking about. He then, uh, through that summer, uh, July and August of 17, has a number of conversations with White House officials where he emphasizes that China really wants Guo sent home and would be willing to do various things for the U.S. in exchange for that happening. Now, Wynn has maintained, and his lawyers have maintained repeatedly, that his role here was just a messenger. He was just taking information from China to the White House, nothing more, uh, not a lobbyist, uh, you know, certainly not acting on behalf of the Chinese. Uh, the DOJ disagreed and actually sued to force Wynn to register as what's called a foreign agent for the Chinese government. Wynn ended up winning that case uh, and convincing a judge that he did not need to register. The U.S. has a, a very unusual piece of legislation called the Foreign Agents Registration Act, uh, FARA. And essentially what FARA means is if you are working on behalf of a so-called foreign principal, meaning a foreign government or even a foreign company, doing lobbying work in the United States. Uh, you have to register with the Justice Department and you have to file these uh, very detailed disclosures that say uh, what you were paid, what you were doing, who worked on it, that sort of thing. These registrations are, as you can imagine, a gold mine for journalists. They're absolutely incredible. If you do not register and you lobby on behalf of a foreign principal, uh, you can get into very deep trouble. And indeed, that's part of what uh, our characters here were accused of in the end. Jason, all three of you are telling this story with a lot of insider detail. How did you find all of this out? How do you know all the details in your story? We used quite a bit of public records, court documents. We also spoke to people close to the case. In addition to that, we were able to review 
FBI and Department of Justice records. And these records provided extraordinary insight. So let me set the scene for you a bit. You know, the FBI is reaching out to representatives or attorneys for for these celebrities or, you know, other individuals that are sort of caught up in this investigation. And they're trying to arrange interviews with Leonardo DiCaprio, with Kim Kardashian. And in some instances, they're just sending a list of questions and their lawyers respond. But in the case of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kim Kardashian, who also did sit for interviews with the FBI, you know, the FBI asked them very pointed questions. And those questions were, how do you know Jolo? When did you meet? What did he give you? And they're explaining that in great detail. But it goes even further because the FBI has asked for evidence. So in many instances, the government has obtained emails, photographs, of various types of records from these folks that really does lay bare exactly what they received from Jolo, and they were able to kind of follow the money and trace it to 1MDB. We'll be right back. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. In the end, despite all of this effort, the U.S. didn't drop its investigation of 1MDB. Guo was never extradited back to China. And all of these efforts were sort of fruitless. So where do things stand now with all the people who were involved in this story? Nikki Lum Davis pleaded guilty to one count of aiding and abetting violation of FARA, which is that legislation which requires anyone lobbying for a foreign client to register with the Justice Department. Broidy pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to violate FARA. Uh, that was in October of 2020. But he was then pardoned by President Trump uh, in his final hours in office. So he didn't end up doing any time. Nikki Lum Davis was recently sentenced to two years in prison for her own guilty plea. And Anthony, what happened to Praz Michelle? So Praz faces the trial of his life. He's been charged with 10 very serious crimes, ranging from witness tampering to conspiracy. He goes on trial uh, in late March, and he has got really this very unusual witness list that promises to make the trial very interesting publicly. Among the potential witnesses are Presidents Obama and Trump, as well as the world's most famous movie star, Leonardo DiCaprio. Why didn't he take a plea like the others? Proz maintains that he is innocent. His attorney will tell you that Proz was just acting as a connector he didn't, in fact, mean to lobby on behalf of a foreign official or government, and that he believes the U.S. government, the FBI, has long been trying to flip him to get him to cooperate, and when he did not, they decided to charge him with these very serious offenses. If he's convicted, Praz stands to serve the most time 
as anyone convicted in the U.S. on these very serious charges. What's really fascinating about the records that we've been able to review that have not been disclosed before is how important the FBI and prosecutors saw Praz as being a potential witness in their investigation into 1MDB. And they note that they want to essentially try to leverage him to become a cooperating witness and try to get him to cop to a plea as it related to these other crimes. When he refused, one of the reasons that he refused and his lawyer would say this is that they wanted him to plead guilty to a FARA violation. It would require him to serve more than a year in prison and essentially give up the bulk of his wealth. And uh, they felt that that was not fair in addition to the fact that he thought he had not committed any crimes. But you get to see really behind the scenes when the FBI is communicating with the Justice Department. What they're saying is, is if Praz does not cooperate, he knows what's coming, right? And what ultimately came was this superseding indictment, which listed or identified even more serious crimes that he's uh, going on trial for now at the end of March. Matt, China didn't manage to have Go Wei extradited. Where is he now? So Guo, despite the very energetic efforts of the Chinese government to get him sent home, did not end up being deported or extradited. It's not totally clear why that happened, how he was able to keep his perch in the U.S. May have something to do with his friendship with Steve Bannon, who kind of glommed on to Guo around mid to late 2017 and became one of his close allies. He remains in the U.S. Uh, he's been trying to sell his apartment in the Sherry Netherland. I believe the price has been cut a couple of times uh, and it's still in the market. At last check, he was living in Connecticut, involved in various uh, business ventures. He's had a, a, very eventful, a very eventful life. But from his perspective, what's important is uh, he remains uh, safely in America and not back in China. And Anthony, where is Jolo? I think that's the uh, $4 billion question, right? I mean... The U.S. government has been trying to find him. I can't count how many journalists have been trying to find him. By all appearances, the last public appearance that has been reported was at the Shanghai Disneyland, where he was spotted with his family. He has not been brought back to the U.S. and remains a fugitive, uh, even though the U.S. government would like to charge him with, you know, very, very serious offenses. Matt, at the end of this incredible saga. What do you take away from this? Where I see the takeaways here have to do with the U.S.-China relationship and Chinese foreign policy. Uh, we see in this story a really vivid example of how determined the Chinese government was to neutralize what it saw as a threat. Uh, Guo Wangwei and his claims about corruption at the highest levels of the Communist Party. They were incredibly determined. And while Guo managed to to stay in the U.S. It certainly wasn't for lack of trying by the Chinese government and, and with various people uh, it, it uh, contracted to help. And, and I think that's interesting in, in light of some of what we've seen in the news lately about Chinese efforts to sort of extend the reach of law enforcement around the world. There have been a number of stories recently about uh, Chinese police stations popping up, notably in Europe and in Canada. 
which uh, a lot of governments are concerned, are kind of beachheads for China to uh, harass dissidents, to push for the repatriation of people who, for whatever reason, it wants back, uh, and essentially operate kind of outside any of the formal legal and diplomatic strictures that typically regulate kind of law enforcement relations between countries. So I think we saw in this story a really remarkable tale of just how far this broader phenomenon went in one instance and, and might go again in the future. For me, it's another example of how money acts as a lubricant to both parties, celebrities and films, but also the very tippy top of the American political structure. And Joe had money, which gave him access to not only A-list stars, literally the White House itself. We see how the allure of that money attracted people who felt like they could further his own interests as well as sort of their personal ones. Anthony, Jason, Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Wes. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Federica Romaniello is our producer. Our associate producer is Zenab Siddiqui. Rafael Amsili is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.